is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to the living systems here in the Central Valley of California. I am Pegasus, your host for Peril and Promise, KCBP's half-hour weekly show regarding environmental injustice and human recovery from health hazards in California. In every episode of Peril and Promise, you'll hear about important environmental issues which are intertwined with our physical and mental health. Everyone in the Central Valley of California is impacted by the stories you'll hear in Peril and Promise. My guest today on Peril and Promise is Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell, a neuroscientist and psychiatrist. We'll be talking about the current pandemic of the spring of 2020 and the impact of pandemics across society. Dr. Powell, how are things today? Going well, thank you. I've always been fascinated by the insights you offer people and the analysis you share over some ailments people suffer from. In addition to your training in psychiatric counseling, what other ways have you learned to help and what other disciplines? Well, I I started out as a neuroscientist because I had a, a materialistic view of consciousness. And after becoming a psychiatrist, I met patients who had abilities that really, uh, they really challenged the paradigm for what we think that we're capable of doing as humans. And so I started delving into looking at the uh, body of literature uh, that we call parapsychology and looking at anomalous phenomena, things like near-death experiences, which... Um, oftentimes have an out-of-body experience component to them. Um, people who claim to be able to see things remotely, um, at research that was done by uh, Stanford Research Institute with funding from various branches of military intelligence on remote viewing, looking into precognitive studies, and, and seeing that there really is a lot of evidence for, for these phenomena being possible for, for human beings. And, and in fact, these phenomena have been reported across all cultures and um, going back into the uh, very beginning of recorded history. So so I've, I've looked into those things. I've looked into um, Eastern religions uh, and their um, concept of consciousness and, and human potential and also looked into physics and um, particularly modern physics and our understanding of physics since um, 100 years ago when, when we really shifted how, how we how we think about this uh, that the world we live in and, and realizing that consciousness is a vital component of the world that, that John Wheeler was a physicist who said that we co-create the, the, the universe, that we cannot take consciousness out of the picture. And what uh, reading material or books are available to help people who are interested in the scientific basis of parapsychology? Um, well, there's my book, The ESP Enigma, Scientific Case for Psychic Phenomena, which uh, basically gives a review of some of the studies that I think are the most compelling um, and for, for psychic phenomena being real. And it also goes into, in um, layman's terms, I'm trying to present 
things like uh, quantum mechanics and chaos theory and string theory um, in, in a way so that you can understand how our current understanding of physics really makes these things possible. And, and I also talk about how incomplete our model is for the brain and consciousness and how, um, how it doesn't really exclude these phenomena. So, so that's one book. Okay, let's take a step back. Can you tell me what region in the United States you were in when you completed your university studies and a bit about how long you've been practicing psychiatry? Well, I, um, I studied neuroscience as an undergraduate and worked in various laboratories at Ohio State University. And then I went to medical school at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore um, starting in 1979 and received my MD in 1983 and then did my residency in internal medicine, neurology, and psychiatry at Johns Hopkins and after that, I starting in 1987, I was on faculty at Harvard. Okay, great. After after that, after being at Harvard and, and teaching neuropsychiatry, um, I moved out to San Diego and was in a genetics fellowship. So I, I've also studied molecular biology and genetics. And I've been in practice as a doctor for over 30 years. And you still uh, see clients? You're getting ready to retire? Correct. Yes, I I still have a small private practice, but I'm getting ready to retire from that so that I can devote more of my time to research and public speaking and writing. Great. Now, Dr. Diane, the last time I interviewed you was about 14 years ago for a movie about your great uncle back when you were in San Diego and I was in New Mexico. But today, in 2020, it seems that there is still no master's degrees or doctorates in parapsychology. But are there institutions of higher learning that offer certificates of any sort for parapsychology? Well, there aren't really certificates you can get in parapsychology, but I... um on the basis of my research and the book that I wrote, the ESP Enigma, I became a member of the board of the Parapsychological Association. And that is a scientific association that's part of the National Academy of Sciences in which we're considered to be a legitimate sector of science and, and that we're really looking at these things using your standard sorts of controls that you need to have. One of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you today is because of the current pandemic and the situation with uh, the novel coronavirus and and helping. I'm hoping that you can help give people a a really good, solid, well-grounded reassurance of what's happening in reality. Every day on Earth, about 300,000 people are born and about 60 to 80,000 die of many different causes. Coronavirus right now or the COVID-19 is only killing about... uh, 2,000 people a day, which is a minuscule compared to the amount of people that are dying in terms of numbers. So there's other causes of death and disease daily killing far more people than the coronavirus, I think, ever will. What advice do you have for folks who are worried about the current pandemic? I'll keep my numbers to just the U.S. because the conditions across different countries vary so much. You, You have countries like China, where this whole outbreak started, 
that have horrendous air pollution. And because this virus is a predominantly a respiratory disease-causing virus, if you have compromised lungs because of being a heavy smoker or living in a highly polluted area, then, then you're more at risk for serious complications from it. If you're just joining us, this is Peril and Promise. I am Pegasus, and our guest today is Dr. Diane Hennessy-Powell. And we'll be right back to talk about force multipliers that enable the novel coronavirus to kill people. Peril and Promise, Dr. Diane has been giving us some perspective on the myriad factors going into each individual's immune responses to bugs such as the coronavirus. Dr. Diane, we know that car crashes, cancers, regular illness like the flu, starvation, war, and domestic violence, other diseases afflict human health and take lives daily. So what can you say about the current pandemic's novel virus in contrast to other threats? So in the U.S., just to put the numbers in perspective, the flu causes between 9 million and 45 million cases per year in the United States since 2010. And anywhere from 50,000 to 800,000 hospitalizations in the U.S. per year. And one of the worst years that we had was back in 2018, where there were 810,000 hospitalizations in the U.S., and 61,000 people died of the flu. Now, to put it into perspective, um, so far this year, right now, it's, it's only about 10% of what it was during one of our worst flu seasons. And yet, back in 2018... Most people barely even knew that that was a particularly bad flu season and our hospitals um, were not going into crisis mode. Uh, People were not social distancing or on these um, stay-at-home shelter-in-place orders. And so so we're doing – and they weren't being told to wash their hands and to not touch their face. And all of these things that we're being told to do and people are being pretty compliant with doing – um, that are helping to keep the numbers down. Um, so it makes me think that we, we actually may not have um, as many casualties from this virus this, this season as we did that, that really bad flu season. Yeah, yeah. The ordinary flu that's been around for a while, people know what to de- how to deal with it. This new thing, there's no vaccine. You know, people get flu shots all the time every year, but there's no such a shot yet. And so the mystery of it, uh, is one of the reasons people are behaving so neatly and social physical distancing and better aseptic practices. But the conundrum is, uh, we all know that it's pretty communicable. I guess that's one other difference. People say that the ordinary flu maybe doesn't communicate as well. So there's all these mysteries that are causing people to um, be at home and think more. Instead of worrying, they're going to take advantage of this time. Um, but then, of course, as we know, governments or other nefarious forces might uh, take advantage of the fear and concern people have for the elderly and do something damaging to our society and our psyche. 
I think that there's so much panic that's being generated by the way that the mainstream media is presenting this epidemic. And I, I really think that that's um, doing really potentially more harm than good, because if you're if you're in a panic state, then you're going to suppress your immune system. You're, you're going to have a lot more cortisol being released from your adrenal gland is a known be- immunosuppressant. Yeah, cortisol, cortisol, a stress hormone, right? Correct. Well, it's also, it's immunosuppressant. So mm-hmm. it's it's basically, um, it's prednisone is something that's given to people to suppress their immune system if they have a severe allergic reaction. And cortisol is our natural prednisone. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I've thought about cortisol in the past is I've worked with people that are HIV positive and they've talked about cortisol. And I've heard that our daily rhythm of cortisol means that people should not drink coffee the first few hours in the morning because that's going to add more stress. And it's better if you're a coffee drinker to wait until your cortisol's done its trick. So there's a natural function for cortisol. It's just the amount, the level of it is a problem that you're talking about. Well, what, so the way that our system is, um, there's this um, adaptation of releasing adrenaline and cortisol when you're under stress, but it's meant to be uh, advantageous when it's short-term stress. So, for example, if there is a, um, a threat like a, a bear chasing after you, the adrenaline gives you that fight-or-flight response. So it, get, it mobilizes you very quickly. People, when they have a lot of adrenaline in their system, sometimes can do things that seem almost superhuman. And then the cortisol is something that helps to mobilize resources that you need for that mobilization. So if you, if you have a lot of cortisol production, you're affecting your human, your physiology uh, because you're, you're mobilizing um, needed resources from your, from your muscles and from other, other storage spots in your body. But the problem is, is that, that if you're not really um, you're, you're not really seeing any letdown of that stress and it becomes chronic, then, then cortisol production is very destructive to the body yeah. long term. Yeah. Um, so on that topic of nutrition, um, when you're talking about cortisol, again, I keep thinking about coffee. Can you tell me we have a daily rhythm of cortisol and therefore don't drink coffee at that time when you've got higher production? Well, um, I mean, there's. I can understand why you're saying that. Our, our cortisol generally peaks around four in the morning. So you're saying that uh, around four in the morning for most people, if they've gone to bed at somewhere between eight and ten or something, I don't know. It's four in the morning is roughly when cortisol starts to peak. Why is that? What do we need that for? Are we supposed to wake up at five or what? No, I don't know that it's that we're supposed to wake up at five. But what it is is that our um, we have we have diurnal cycles, and each cycle plays a, each part component of the cycle plays a role in our physiology that is needed. And so there are lots of things that peak and 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 have low points at different times of the day. Um, and so I don't think we understand entirely the uh, the full process of it. But part of it could be that. Um, cortisol is peaking at around four in the morning because we've been fasting for a longer period of time oh, at, at that time, yeah. and and so it's going to help us to keep a more steady um, 
blood glucose, for example, something like that. That's exquisite logic. I love it. It's okay that we're making cortisol. The problem is when we have too much cortisol, which um, mobilizes resources that we could use otherwise for healing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And some people are more susceptible to coffee than others. And so if you're somebody who's feeling anxious and you notice that drinking coffee makes you more anxious, then now's a good time to start switching over to something that's decaffeinated. Yeah. What can you say about nutrition in general when it comes to trying to protect ourselves from, from the flu or from viruses? The There are certain nutrients that are really, really important for supporting your immune system. And one of them is vitamin C. And another one is zinc. Zinc has natural um, antiviral properties. And if you have it, a viral infection, zinc tends to decrease. And so um, these zinc lozenges, oftentimes they also have vitamin C as part of them. They're, they're a really good thing to be doing today, you know, and not just today, but I mean, in these times um, when, when we're um, in the, the flu slash uh, coronavirus seasons. and Okay, I hear you. It's a season of illnesses and viruses, and we're in a historical season of change as folks practice more diligent hygiene. But the coronavirus may become another regular seasonal hazard overcoming our immune responses. So what about genetically modified foods as an inhibitor of proper immune system functioning? Well, one of the, the problems with genetically modified food is the reason why it's been genetically modified. And... Um, the major crops that have been genetically modified are ones that have been modified so that they can withstand really high doses of glyphosate. And glyphosate is extremely toxic. Um, it's, uh, it's the same thing that's in Roundup, and it's very similar to Agent Orange, which was also something that was used to um, kill you know, kill plants, um, you know, the ones that you don't want. Uh, and so what we're seeing is high levels of these these chemicals, even in um, babies when, when they're born, because the placenta um, doesn't just concentrate nutrients in the baby, it also concentrates the toxins that are in the mother's body. Wow. So when you look at um, so much of the wheat and, and corn and, 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 and other products that are um, modified it, it's so that they can withstand more chemicals and then that's that's really more the concern than it being um, you know the, the the actual insertion of a gene itself yeah okay I see if you're genetically modifying something in order to be able to handle more uh, glyphosate toxin around it then we're gonna be ending up dealing with more glyphosate in our ingestion and that is probably a greater danger at times than the unknown factor of what uh, genetically modified foods, because their DNA is different now, how that will affect uh, human health. Correct. Yeah. And 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 the toxicity of these chemicals, um, it, it, it's really mucking up our sort of biological systems and their ability to function. But it's also um, playing a role in basically destroying the bacteria in people's gut. So, so by altering the, the gut bacteria, we, we know that there are consequences of that um, health-wise as well as um, behaviorally. And so a lot of these children who are being diagnosed with autism 
they have severe gut dysbiosis, and um, if you if you help to heal their gut, then oftentimes you'll you'll see an improvement in their behavior and symptoms. So, oh yeah, our behavior is a result of many factors, including toxic chemicals we can ingest or absorb in the modern world. This reminds me of an old song, which is called Food Grade Food, which was a lyrical way to question the strange things that count as alleged nutrition. Uh, back at the end of the prayer century, but probably still appropriate now. Welcome back to Peril and Promise. Our guest today is a neuroscientist and psychiatrist, Dr. Diane Hennessy-Powell. And we want to get back to the probability that the current global outbreak of coronavirus will subside this year. And further, more tips on enjoying the great indoors as folks keep getting quarantined. By the time that we come around to summer, um, this probably will not be as prevalent, just, just like the flu is not that prevalent in the summer. And vitamin D is another thing that's really good for supporting your immune system, especially if you're spending more time indoors now than you usually do. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point when you talk about the summer. Um, in terms of, you know, summer's coming for the northern hemisphere, but what about the southern hemisphere to support what you're saying about it might not be as much of a problem uh, when summer comes? Well, well, one of the problems is is that we're actually, whether you're in the northern or in the southern hemisphere, we're at transitional points. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the Equinox. Um, spring yeah. and they're in fall. And it's those transitional points when people tend to be the most susceptible to getting sick. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, the, the, the COVID thing started in, I guess, December in China. It's, it took a while to spread, and by the time it was spreading, we were at the equinox for whichever part of the planet on you're on. It's it's uh, the transition time, as you say. Right, and and a lot of people um, have reported to me over the years. I've been a doctor that they um, they have more of a tendency to get sick in the fall and 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 in the spring. And then another factor in the northern hemisphere for a lot of people is that allergies are really common and so this is happening right at yeah allergy season and so a lot of people might be having symptoms that are really due to their allergies and might be unnecessarily getting afraid thinking oh no do i have the virus i've also heard about and seen some computer modeling of where the pandemic might lead where, where it might go in terms of numbers of deaths etc what can you say about that i really think that um these people that are basically saying these doomsday scenarios um, that it's it's really um, kind of unnecessary fear mongering. I, I really don't see when, when I'm tracking the numbers and I'm, I'm looking every day at the curves that are being generated by the CDC and the World Health Organization and 
Although I'm seeing an exponential increase in cases, it's not as sharp of an increase as, as you might think. It, it's basically the number of cases worldwide is only increasing by about 10% per day. So that's, that's not the kind of doubling of cases that, that would be much more of a doomsday sort of scenario. And the, the number of deaths is not increasing exponentially. It's really a, a, a really uh, unusual situation where you have these accounts of a high percentage of people um, be testing positive and not having any symptoms at all. Yeah. And then yet at the same time, you can have other people who reportedly were healthy who drop over dead. And it, it really makes you wonder, how could that all be the same virus? And yeah. I really suspect that either there's... Um, a problem with the test, which there are many people who've said this, that there are a lot of false positives with the test. Um, so so I'm, I'm wondering about that. And, and I'm also thinking that people who were reportedly uh, very healthy and then dropped dead, I'm, I'm thinking they probably had some kind of subclinical condition. I mean, a lot of people can be um, walking around feeling fine uh, but actually have high blood pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's why it's called the silent killer because a lot of people, they don't even know that their their blood pressure is high or they don't know that their blood glu glucose is too high until it's measured. And we're also living in an increasingly toxic world, whether you're talking about chemicals or you're talking about electromagnetic frequencies. Um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about the fact that Wuhan, where this epidemic began, um, it's one of the first cities, if not the first city in the world, to have introduced 5G in a major way. And there are a lot of concerns by many scientists who've actually published this in Scientific American and other places that we, we really haven't done the kind of safety testing on this that we should. And right. 5G is um, it, it's a really powerful electromagnetic frequency to be putting out there. And over time, uh, there's a suggestion that after um, several months of exposure to it, that it, it really weakens your immune system and, and weakens your, your ability to fight something like this. So I think that um, it, it could be that it's a confluence of factors. Yeah, thanks for bringing up the point about 5G as one of several factors. Uh, here on The Peril and the Promise in the Central Valley of California, this radio show, we've covered uh, the issue of people that have electromagnetic hypersensitivity uh, in past episodes. Yes, and then if you look at some of the other places where the virus has been um, particularly virulent, they also have 5G. A lot of these cruise ships have 5G on them so that people can be out at sea and still get their internet. And as you said, it's really one of many factors and there's so much more we could talk about. Thank you for bringing up all these issues and explaining a lot. And I hope that we'll have you on the show again in the future. So thank you, Dr. Diane. Thank you. You've been listening to Peril and Promise, KCBP's half hour show regarding environmental injustice and human recovery from health hazards in California. More information on today's show can be found at kcbpradio.org. This show is hosted by Pegasus and produced by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. Thank you for tuning in to Peril and Promise here on KCBP 95.5 FM.
our theme music of Peril and Promise is a performance by Alzara Getz of Dorothy's Melting. Thank you.